How can we help our students who are really struggling with comprehension skills? This is a question that I get asked a lot and that I see posted on all the social media platforms. If you know me, you know I'm on the Facebook and Instagram and TikTok daily. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm there. I'm showing up every day, hopefully posting helpful content. And comprehension is something that comes up often. And so this past year, I had the absolute honor of having Dr. Merrill Winston on. He is just a breath of fresh air in the field of ABA, special education. And what he shares is very applicable to all speech therapists, all BCBAs, who are working with students who are struggling with that comprehension piece. Um, Meryl is just a hoot. It was the first time I've ever had to bleep out um, a curse word on my podcast. So if you haven't listened to this episode the first time around, I'm really excited. I chose it because it was one of our most popular and most listened to episodes. We have a lively discussion all about comprehension, and I am so excited for you to dig on in to this episode. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Well, thanks so much for joining us on episode 107 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a great episode for you today. Today, we have with us Dr. Meryl Winston. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to chat with you. You're quite welcome. I'm excited as well. And I feel like you just keep popping up. I actually met you, probably don't remember, but Matt Sicoria, who is a kind of a mutual friend and colleague, has a Patreon. So I've been a part of that forever. And he used to do these Zoom meetings with all these rock stars that he has on <laughs> the top people in the ABA field. And I'm very I'm a part of the nerd herd. So as a SLP BCBA. So I think I saw you on one of those. Um, yeah, it's ba- way back in the day. But I, I probably didn't say one word because sometimes I'm quiet, believe it or not. But anyway, that's where I first was introduced to you, really. And then I feel like you're just doing a lot of presenting in the field. And, you know, I'm always online with ABA speech. So you keep popping up. And I'm like, I think I need to talk to this man. I think I need to have him impart some wisdom on the listeners. So, you know, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of stuff lately because I left my position. Uh, it's been a year now at PC. CMA, Professional Crisis Management Association, because uh, I just want to do something different. And yeah. so kind of doing just what I want to do now. But um, as far as like, uh, do you want me to go over like how I got in the field? Yeah, I would love yeah. to share with uh, us like kind of how you got in the field. at uh, University of Florida. And okay. I was taking, it was like my second or third year uh, there. And um, I started, I was taking all the psych courses because I knew I wanted to be in psychology. And so I took all of them. Uh, you know, like all the different ones, uh, you know, uh, developmental psych and animal psych and just like every kind of like animal ethology and all, all the different kinds of psychologies and um, cognitive and clinical. And then I took a behavior analysis class called Applied Behavior Analysis. And my teacher was Hank Pennypacker. And so uh, in the first class, that's where he was talking about behavioral shaping and how dogs probably got domesticated and how it worked with cavemen. And that's where he jumped up on the desk and squatted (laughs) with his boots and his pants. He just pulled his pants up and uh, described, you know, this is Og sitting around the 
a caveman sitting around the fire. And he said, incidentally, this is probably when loincloths were invented. (laughs) I was like, this guy is awesome. It all goes together. Um, Yeah. And I was like, I'm doing this. I don't care what the rest of it is he has to say, but yeah. (laughs) No, but he actually said some awesome stuff and I was hooked. And then Mm -hmm. I took all the other behavioral courses at UF, which had very good courses. Yeah. Uh, Like the graduate students were easily as good as many of the professors that Mm -hmm. are around now. That's how sharp they were. Um, But anyway, that's, it started there and I started working with folks with developmental disabilities when I was an undergraduate, I worked at the um, institution um, uh, in Gainesville called Takachali, which was Sunland Gainesville, which is a large, mm-hmm. uh, sprawling developmental mm-hmm. services institution for adults and even some very young adults, like teenage mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so I started with that. And uh, then I went to Auburn, did my graduate work there with Jim Johnston. I also worked with Jim at um, UF studying ruminations. Um, which is the regurgitation and re-swallowing of food. Um, and so I worked with him there at Florida. And we also did studies at Auburn. Hmm. So I that there. I have the dubious distinction of counting more ruminations than any human alive. I was going to say, I had one client that did that, one in 20 years. And it maybe it's not two. Super, yeah, it's not super. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. But anyway, that's, yeah. So I did that. And uh, then after that, I went into... Um, uh, nine years at an institution as a lead behavior analyst there. Got a lot of experience working with adults. Mm. And then it was PCMA after that. And then I was working uh, all over with a lot of people. And then I started working a lot in schools at Palm Beach County. So I did about 10 years as their consultant going to all all the schools with all the worst behavior problems and all the the parents that the schools had the most difficulties with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like the parent whisperer. <laughs> uh, we like you because I, I worked 20 years public and um, and ABA centers kind of divided my time. But no matter how good those public school employees and all the experience, it can be hard to. I always say you should embrace the outside consultant coming in because even though I was working as a speech therapist in the schools for 20 years, I was also a BCBA. I it was easier for me because I knew the BCBA that was the consultant usually. It's a small world here in Cleveland, Ohio, but it's great to have that consultant because it is like the parent whisperer. It's like I could tell the parent one thing, but if the consultant said the same exact sentence, it was more powerful from the consultant. And you know what? I checked my ego at the door. So I just let it go. And that's the dynamic. You need to have that collaborative effort. And I just think districts that are proactive and they have BCBAs coming in. Oh, kudos to them because I know, I guess I'm living in this like different world where I think every district acts that way because I guess that's been my experience. So, but I know that's not always the case. And there's a lot of students who need help out there in the schools. Sure. So that's, um, and that's a little bit of background on me. So I did a lot of crisis management. Um, um, I did a lot of expert witnessing over the years, mostly related to crisis management, to restraints gone wrong. Um, and I still do those cases, which I really mm-hmm. love doing, um, and, and other related cases. Yeah, that's amazing. I'll have to talk to you about that. That's something I want to start getting into, expert I, witness. I, I, I let you know all about it. In fact, I'm, okay. preparing, I'm preparing a CEU for behavior analysts who are interested. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. I like yeah, that. I'll talk. 
Definitely. Um, And today I'm going to have you on. We comprehension is something that comes up time and again with uh, my listeners and my audience. So a lot of people that follow me are speech therapists, followed by BCBAs and special education teachers and parents as well. Um, And those kind of in the field. But reading comprehension is something that comes up a lot. And we had talked um, prior, and I thought that would be a nice topic for us today. But you know, because this is kind of, we're talking about reading comprehension. Can you give us just a little bit of a working definition? Because a lot of the listeners yeah. might be coming in, it might be a parent, they may not exactly understand what we're talking about when we say reading comprehension. Yeah, I'm going to give you like, a, just like a little bit, I'm going to use what I talk about when I talked with um, Pat McGreevy on that. And, and Florida says different things, but just real quick. And there are different kinds of comprehension at different mm-hmm. levels. So the one is you can say it back, which is useful, mm-hmm. but that's only one kind, okay? Mm-hmm. I need you to do your math, then your spelling, then your reading. What do I need you to do? Math, spelling, then reading. Well, that's one kind of comprehension. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say it back like that if you weren't paying attention at all. Right. But it doesn't mean that you knew that you know what all those things are. Um, oh, yeah. you know, we, right. we of course, but anyway, that's one kind of comprehension and that kind of comprehension alone is mm-hmm. useful. Even if you don't know exactly what it means, maybe you need to tell it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I need you to go find a person and tell them you need this. That's something right. a small child might do. Go find a policeman and tell them this, right? Mm-hmm. They don't need to know what it means. They just need to be able to repeat it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, So there, that's a valid, my point is that's Mm -hmm. one valid form of comprehension. Mm -hmm. Um, You can now do something that's like receptive. So, Mm -hmm. um, oh, the way to do this is you put the sheet under first. You don't say anything back to me. You just go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, you can now do something that you couldn't do before. So Mm -hmm. if you didn't understand me, you would do the wrong thing. So right. clearly you comprehended what I said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the way, uh, and probably the people that do real-time training with individuals have figured this out the hard way, but a lot of them haven't. And that that is that um, a lot of people think individuals have good receptive, but they don't. They're great <laughs> at looking at eyes. Mm. They're great <laughs> at looking at eye and head gestures. And- uh-huh. And and because people don't realize they're doing it, go, can you go? I go, give him an does he have good receptive? Yes, he has great receptive. Give him an instruction that's like complex and they do this. Hey, Billy, go get the pillow over on the couch. They looked at the couch and they pointed to the couch, and there's only one thing on right. the couch. Right. So it's 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 stuff like that that there's sometimes it looks like a comprehension, but you have to test it, you know. Right. All those things. Um, and the last one that Pat gave me, what, and this is actually, he gave me this one. And, I, and this is the one that's most important for education, mm-hmm. for higher education. You can talk about it. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about it. And this <laughs> is where all our friends with autism and related disabilities who have partial repertoires fall down. Because mm-hmm. what people try to do is they try to use a nice, nice measure of comprehension, which is non-functional, which mm-hmm. is a multiple choice test where they're prompted, which I'll come back to. But um, <laughs> but the real deepest comprehension is you can talk about it in mm. different ways, right? Yeah, that's a lot. You know, it kind of reminds me of a college professor where 
we kind of thought they were <laughs> being lazy, but you each had to take a chapter. Did you ever have a professor uh, yeah, like this? Yeah, and you I, have to teach the chapter. But I mean, yeah. going back to your point, being able to talk about something, I do think that's true. There's definitely some merit to that. And I, I feel like I've done that with some of my, so I would do a lot of group therapy for my autistic learners. So for students who are more conversational and had special interests, we did definitely one year have the kids come up and do a little bit of a slideshow. I worked in a great district, so we had the smart boards and all the fancy tech, but it was fun because it was their way to share. It was something that was functional, but they're talking about it. So I'm sure that their comprehension was probably pretty good for that. Oh, interesting. So um, well, you're talking about the multiple choice being a way to not assess it. So what is your... So how do you like to assess comprehension? Here, here's Well, I actually don't like go assess it, but here's yeah. my suggestion that it be functional. Because here's what they said. They said, um, she's 17. They said, she, uh, what I go, what grade level she's reading on? Because I knew she wasn't reading on grade level. Yeah. So she can read on a first grade level. And I was like, can she? Um, so I was like, has she, how does she do on comprehension tests? She goes, oh, she does pretty well. I go, what is the comprehension test? Well, it, she does good on if it's multiple choice about the story with prompting. And so here's my thing on with prompting. Here's oh. another, here's another way to say mm -hmm. anybody can do something with prompting. Here's another way to say it. They can't do it. <laughs> they, can't. I think you should repeat that. Can you no, repeat that? Okay. Here's, here's the joke I use that is also not a joke because mm -hmm. this is what we do to people with special needs. Okay. Right. Me, Meryl mm -hmm. Winston. I can disarm any nuclear device with prompting. Mm -hmm. I can fly a plane with prompting. And as I have pretty good fine motor, I am almost 100% certain that I could perform surgery on somebody with prompting, heavy prompting, mm -hmm. maybe hand over hand. Okay. But, and the point is, you don't want me to fly your plane, operate mm -hmm. on you, or disarm your bombs. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Can't, right. Mm -hmm. That's another way of saying it is I can't. Mm -hmm. uh, because with prompting, I'm like a I'm like a super secret agent with prompting. <laughs> I could fly to the moon with prompting. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. It, it's, <laughs> it's not functional. It doesn't matter. No one cares that they can do it with prompting because that's not how we ultimately need to do things. Right. I mean, yeah. granted, we all have to be prompted about something. Mm -hmm. everyone that's why we have microsoft outlook okay but but, but a, a vast majority of things that we're functional at we do unprompted but yeah uh, i i like that because i do a lot of so i'm very active every day my company we're posting on tiktok instagram linkedin every social media platform that's kind of how i built my business here at aba speech but my iep content and my goal videos really people it resonates with them like i had one on tiktok that almost had 500,000 views and it was just a very funny kind of audio and it was a very poorly written iep call it wasn't it wasn't about comprehension but it was just very poorly written but th what I you're will, saying she will do it 80% of the time yes right of the time was i mean uh, it's just so uh, there's so many ways we can go astray with this and that it it's hard. I do think it's hard for public school 
professionals, especially now during co after COVID and this whole thing, I do think there's so many things that they're tasked to do that sometimes it's hard to analyze things to the minutia that we're doing today on this podcast because you know right now we're not in the classroom, we don't have you know some kids that might be engaging in this unsafe problem behavior, which I'm sure you're yeah really well versed in. So, but it is good to have these thoughts about how can we analyze this skill and how can we teach it in a way that is really functional for students. So. How how do you suggest that? So I like the idea of just dialoguing about what is really comprehension and if you're giving here's, somebody here's, a direction. Here's the, like to, here's the way I like to do things. Yeah. I like to do things based on how do we normally work? How, mm-hmm. how, do, how What's the normal development for most people? And the normal development for most kids, right, is not comprehending a book. Mm-hmm. It is, in fact, mm-hmm. comprehending a day. So mm-hmm. my, I, here's my the the short attention span version of the whole talk <laughs> that if you can't comprehend your day, you can't comprehend a story from a book mm-hmm. because comprehending your day is more natural and would happen first. Mm-hmm. So um, and what the the problem is and the thing is is that if you can't comprehend your day, you're not going to be able to engage in higher learning. And you're going to suck at predicting things, which mm-hmm. you need for higher learning, because mm-hmm. you're no good at post-dicting anything. So, and the, so the post-dicting would be: I got up today, I put on my clothes, then I saw a bird. Mm-hmm. All right, freaking three-year-olds can do that, <laughs> right? I know yeah. there's three-year-olds that can seriate time like that. Mm-hmm. Like they can't tell you when it happened or how many minutes it took. They're three. But they can tell you the sequence of events in time as they occurred. Mm-hmm. And this ability, this fundamental ability that most of us learn naturally is what I'm going to call seriating your day, mm-hmm. right? You, here's, I'm going to go out on a limb. If you <laughs> can't do that, right. you will never comprehend like you need to mm-hmm. for anything more than what color was the boy's bike? Mm-hmm. You that's that's what I would call a text referenced answer. It doesn't mm-hmm. require the learner to synthesize. It's mm-hmm. a simple tact. It, it's a reach back in time tact. What color mm-hmm. was his? And that's something else. Right, what color right. was it? Right, which is a bit more sophisticated than what color is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is. And some people don't even have that. Yeah. So that was like. Like Jim, Jim Partington blew my mind when he said how he gets people to start talking about the past. And he, I could, it was like so easy. I could, we could it was so easy. I couldn't believe it. He just had this. He goes, what's, what's, he, he did it for, he goes, what's this? And they go cup and he does this. What's this? As he says, what's this? He removes the stimulus and they still say cup. And then he changed the stimulus to this. What was that? Oh, right. <laughs> and then they say cup. And then you make it longer and longer. And and what's happening is he's kind of, I'm guessing, programming in iconic memory, if you will, right? right? By flashing it, removing it, mm-hmm. and getting them to respond based on what was just flashed, not based on what's in front of them, because there's nothing in front of them. Right. And my point is, I believe that is the very beginning of people understanding the concept of that was. Mm, mm -hmm. The whole concept 
I don't think SLPs really talk about this because I don't hear anybody talk about it. The yeah. whole concept of that was, mm-hmm. that's a mind blower right there. Right. right? Where's daddy? Well, he was here. Mm-hmm. Try explaining he was here. <laughs> that That's a time reference. That's meaning you're reaching back to a different event that they, they don't understand what you're doing. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely understand it. I'm thinking about the ways that I used to work on comprehension too, um, when I was more so in the schools. I mean, I think what's hard is that sometimes, well, I just think, you know, we're in the field of behavior analysis, but I don't think a lot, I think people now, because the field has grown so much, I have been certified over 10 years, like maybe 11 years now. And I feel like people are just so burnt out and so busy that they're not analyzing to this degree. That's why I think it's good to talk about these things because then it makes us think about some of the students that we're working with and we're thinking, hmm, is this the most functional way to work on this? And here's why. Here's the thing also, not just is this the most functional, which is important, right? Should I be attempting what I'm attempting? Right. In many cases, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. This kid can't tell you like when i go can she talk oh yeah she can talk you know can she do this oh yeah she can do this. can she read oh yeah she can read can she tell you how her day was yesterday oh no i'm like yeah she's done yeah she topped out that's it right where she's going she's right. gonna act and mand and she'll do some very basic right. verbals but if you ask her what do you think the point of the story was yeah <laughs> getting nothing god bless her you're getting yeah. nothing yeah. And, and you shouldn't be trying. Right. So you should be doing one of two things, trying to get her the repertoire of narrating her day, mm-hmm. after it happened, which right. would have to start with, can you put the paper away? Okay. What did you just do? Yeah. Start with that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She may never get asked these kinds of questions. What did right. you do? Because that's a very important question for someone to be able to answer mm-hmm. if they're going to comprehend stories, the, the today's right. lesson. Right. You, know, you have to reach back and seriate things. Uh-huh. You may seriate them every time, but you still have to remember them. You have to categorize them. Right. You have to attach significance to them. This mm-hmm. is, I talk about in the presentation. So like, I say, like, everybody's done this. Everybody's done this. You read a paragraph and you're like, what the hell did I just read? And, and you're like, it's because you said the words, you briefly flashed on what they meant, but you were balancing your checkbook in your head. <laughs> right. And you weren't, the way I put it is, you weren't engaging in mm-hmm. the behavior with right. respect to the text. Because mm-hmm. reading for comprehension requires you to engage in meta behavior, which is behavior about your behavior, behavior about what you're reading. So mm-hmm. instead of just going, he reading, he he hit the dog and then he stormed out. See, if you're just reading to find out what happened, mm-hmm. well, then you have that comprehension. If you're reading to find out what kind of a person the character was, you're lost. Mm-hmm. Because that requires some synthesis. That requires saying something about what you read. So as an example, if you read, he hit the dog, then he walked out. He hit the dog. Why would he hit the dog? What an asshole, right? <laughs> this is what we do. No, this is what we do when we interact with text. Right. We talk to the text. We talk to ourselves as speaker and listener about the text, right? That's how we gain significance. 
Mm-hmm. That's how we remember the text. That's how we remember very tiny passages. Because remember, I thought that was a weird passage and it didn't belong. That struck me as funny. Uh-huh. Anything that struck strikes you as funny, it didn't belong, it was weird, you tend to remember those things. But the point is, is that you usually behave with respect to it. You say something to yourself like, that's a weird way to write that. Well, mm-hmm. now you're behaving with respect to the text in a manner that the text didn't really ask you to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're pulling yeah. your own repertoire in. And right. my point is, is that higher learning, here's the example that I use. If you don't know what to do with Legos, mm-hmm. you can only say so much about them. So if you don't know what they're for and how to build with them, here's all you can say. They're rectangles. This one's red. This is a shorter one. This is a longer one. This is blue. And that's all you're ever going to be able to say about them. If you know what to do with them and you know how to put them together, then you can say other things about them. This is a race car. (laughs) Mm -hmm. These are the wheels. That guy there's the driver. Guess where he's going? You can't do that with a bunch of bricks. Mm -hmm. And and my point is language and learning is like that because what you do is you construct things with language. And then you say something about what you constructed, just like the Legos. Mm -hmm. You go, well, he kicked the dog. He was mean to his sister. He didn't give back the money he found, and he knew who dropped it. Oh, my God, he's an asshole. (laughs) Well, what you did was you just created your castle that says asshole, right? (laughs) But you did that by putting all these little bricks, these words together in the same category, right, of meanness, right? And now you say something about them collectively. That's And that's what you do when your teacher says, can you summarize the tone that the author was trying to set for us? All right. You want to summarize the tone? <laughs> then you can't do that by simply reading individual words. You have to synthesize mm-hmm. stuff. You have to pull on your history. You see? And so yeah. the, the point is, is that all those things require reaching back. Um mm-hmm higher learning, making inferences. What do you think would have happened if his brother were a nicer person? Now you got to predict a fictitious future, right? How would Mm -hmm. you do that? And my point again is people learn to predict. We can't predict. It's not possible. Like when somebody says, what are you going to do tomorrow? I got to take the kids here and I got to do this. Mm -hmm. You don't know this. You don't know that's what's going to happen. It hasn't happened. Here's what you do know. You know what you did yesterday, and it's the same damn thing. And mm-hmm. you just stick different words in front of it. So what did you do yesterday? I did this. I did that. I did the other. What are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the other. But here's my point. You're doing the same thing. <laughs> just putting different timestamps in front of it, right? right. So yeah. here's my point. When we're naturally learning, we don't learn forward. We don't <laughs> learn what's going to happen. We learn about what did happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we talk about what did happen as though it's going to. And then we put together different variations of what did happen so that we can say, what do you think we'll do tomorrow? Well, when you say that to a little kid, that's based on what they did on all the yesterdays. True. So my point is, where would it all start? It all starts with talking backward. Mm -hmm. What was that? It was a bird. What was, what did you see before the bird? I saw another bird. (laughs) It all, it all starts with that. If they can't do any of that, that's when I think they're going to top out. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think that 
what the therapist can do and what the SLPs can do and the behavior analyst, when they have somebody that says, oh, their comprehension's up here, but it doesn't seem to match, mm-hmm. then you start asking them questions. Ask the person to tell you to seriate their day or seriate the last hour or the last five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, um, or ask them, see if they're, I, I just put it under the rubric of time-oriented. Yeah. If you're not time-oriented, here's the other one. If you do all your work today, Rose, then tomorrow you'll, are you time oriented? Do you know mm-hmm. how long it is until tomorrow? If I asked you, Hey, Rose, did you brush your teeth? And you go, yeah, Rose, how long do you think it took you to brush your teeth? If you have no idea, like an hour. Okay. You're not time oriented. Mm-hmm. Like if you're reasonably time oriented, you could take a guess. Mm-hmm. The minutes. No, that's way too long. Okay. But they wouldn't say an hour. Right. You know what I mean? So my, my point being that time orientation has how long does it take? What comes first? What mm-hmm. day is it? Um, prediction, inductive reasoning, um, all kinds of things that involve time, prediction, sequence of events, right? All the things required for higher learning. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah it's it, interesting because what I'm thinking of too is I liked your point about, you know, I, well, I think sometimes we're tasked with working on these skills because educationally we have to by law, right? A teacher may have to, but what I like you said is, I'll never forget one time I was hearing, I don't know if you know Dr. Uh, Joanne Gehringer. She is a speech uh-huh. therapist, but she, okay. She does all kinds of things, talks too. And she said, I was listening to her talk in one time and she said, I saw somebody with a shirt and it said, I have autism. And on the back, it said, don't waste my time. And I thought that was really funny. And I've had parents before that put their kids in shirts that are funny like that. But what I liked your point was, you know, for some students, because my last 10 years, I was working with middle school, high school students. And I feel like at some point, there are certain skills that some students are not going to be able to learn. So I like your point about, you know, obviously we want to teach our kids things and things that are going to be functional for them in their everyday life as they get competitive employment or whatever that looks like for them as adults. But at some point, it's like, why are we working on these types of things? You know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, uh, students that might be in middle school, high school, and they probably have a reading comprehension goal, just like you're talking about it. What, who and who and what is color a shirt is. And the teacher probably said it because maybe they feel like they have to, but it may not be the most important thing to work on. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that it all starts with the uh, proper assessment and also reasonable expectations. What do you expect they'll be able to do? So like one kid, yeah. great at math wrote math mm-hmm. as language, wrote language, mm-hmm. can't have a conversation with him. And I get called in because he's having behavior problems. You know, he's having That's behavior it. problems. Mm-hmm. He's getting served up word problems. Mm-hmm. Word pro- Mary has two apples. He doesn't know who Mary is or what she has to do with math. Mm-hmm. So he lost. He is mm-hmm. completely lost because he does not have in his mind two children exchanging things. And he also doesn't have in his mind the conception of converting a situation involving the exchange of fruit into a <laughs> mathematical equation. Right. It's deep. I mean, that goes deep. Yeah. People with astounding verbal repertoires can't do this shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. <laughs> 
So people with a verbal repertoire that have gaps in it that you can drive a truck through are most certainly not going to do it. Right. And so that's a case where he should not be attempting word problems. Right. Maybe you give him functional math, like mm-hmm. measure for a recipe. Yeah. Rounds right. per square inch that go in your car tire. Mm-hmm. But he, no, not word problems. Right. He hasn't got the language for word problems. Mm-hmm. So these are, I think, I, I, I think because uh, people, um, you tell me, you're the SLP, but it's been my experience. <laughs> people overrate people's language abilities more than they underrate. Do you think that's a fair statement or not? Yeah, well, you know, in the district I was working in for the past 10 years, it was very contentious. So it was lawyers, advocates, very affluent area. So I just felt like no one really cared about what my clinical expertise was. I could say some of these things. I like this reasonable expectations. I wrote that down and underlined it because I think sometimes when you're in a public school, especially, you really are working with the parents so closely. And I remember having to set goals for conversation that were just... I didn't think they were functional. I didn't think they were reasonable. Um, And you get tied into working on things that you don't think you should even have to be working on, you know, because you're trying to appease everyone. How about mom and dad want the kid? And I've run into this and I know you have. They want the kid to use an augmented device. They don't have good scanning abilities because mom and dad think it would be too hard for them to learn sign. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, hey, you're the mom and dad, but... And I'm just a behavior analyst, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to gamble that you can learn signs at least at the same rate that your child can. Right. Yeah. It seems intimidating. All of that is intimidating for people. So my God. And it's just like, who is going to suffer? The Mm -hmm. child. And so will the parents. Right. That can't functionally communicate. Yeah. Oh, man. I was lucky, though. I had an. I had an AAC. I had an AAC specialist in my district. So that was. Because, you know, the thing about AAC, it's just always changing. It's just, even for speech therapists, if you're a speech therapist and you don't work with kids who use AAC, you're out of the loop. I mean, you just like, oh, it's hard it's like to Oh, a say. new major device every year, I'm going to guess. Just all the things. It's just, yeah, changing and, you know, yeah, there's a lot of thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah. But uh, that's another, that's another tangent. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the point is a lot of these, a lot of the goals, I call them vanity goals. It's what mm-hmm. mom and dad would like to see for them. But my yeah. question to mom and dad is, uh, it's, this is the toughest question of them all. Where is this going? Yeah. I like Where that. is it going? Where is this going? So once he can do this, then he'll be able to do what? Right. And when you ask those sorts of questions, people start to decompensate because they haven't thought it out sometimes. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's that trade off of how bad does the person need this goal? How bad do they think they need it? How bad do we think they need it? Mm -hmm. And how long is it going to take to master it? And then you have to weigh those out because what makes sense to me is, oh, my God. If they could only learn this, it's a behavioral cost, but it'll open up their world. It'll make (laughs) them safer. It'll allow them to interact with others. All right. I don't care if it takes three years. Let's Mm -hmm. do it. But if it's something that's questionable of what other things it will then allow in a behavioral cusp domino Mm -hmm. effect, right? If it's not going to have a big domino effect, why are you going to spend a lot of time on it? Mm -hmm. You know? And so- 
it's a bang for the buck issue. People only have so many teaching hours per day and only so many teachable years in the public school system. And, you know, what I really hate seeing is when the kid's 20, oh, maybe now we should start thinking about self-care and daily living. Oh, you think now that he's failed mm. on math for seven years? Um, that's a crime. Yeah. And, so, and it's not defensible by anything. Uh, right. Maybe- not not COVID, not people's time, not anything, because this is just carelessness of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like continuing to teach something that someone's not making progress in—it's carelessness of thought. We're not mm-hmm. we're not being, and I mean that in the strictest sense. We're not being careful with right. our thinking. We're just we're being careless, and, and and you know, it's not intentional. Carelessness is never intentional. That's why it's called carelessness. <laughs> right. Otherwise, it's called like you know abuse, <laughs> right, um, right, right, abuse and neglect. You know, right? Yeah, I like that though. Carelessness of thought. Oh my goodness, so many great things, such great information. Thank you so much for for coming on today. Let people know where can they find out more about you and your work. Um, they can just go to the website, uh, WinstonBehavioralSolutions.com, and they can see what I do there. They can browse through my library of presentations, which I'm always adding to. Um, and uh, it tells them a little bit, gives them the abstract and the learning objectives and stuff like that. So they can get an idea of if they would like to have a presentation done for themselves. But yeah, and uh, it's uh, easy to contact me if they have questions. They click on the chat. It goes directly to me. It's kind of funny because it's just me. So people go like, <laughs> ask Dr. Winston if his answer is just me. <laughs> make it look like a big thing. Yes, uh, <laughs> right. I'm using the royal we. It's really- <laughs> yeah, I like Well, hey, you got to do that, right? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was nice to connect. Sure, it was great. It was a fun chat. Love to do it again sometime. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.